It's a real honor to be able to be here tonight and preach. And thank you guys for coming. It's voluntary. It blesses my heart to see men wanting to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been coming here about 26 years now and never left this jail but on cloud nine, seeing people change, hearts and lives change for Jesus Christ. Never to be the same again. I've seen it over and over. The message I have tonight, I'm going to talk about three key words that start with the letter P. Passion, purpose, and prayer. I'm going to start with passion. What is your passion? What is the things you like to do? What's the things that get you excited? That, that gets you just pumped up? Like maybe it's football, maybe it's uh, basketball, MMA fighting, maybe it's NASCAR, fishing, hunting, computers, I don't know. Whatever you live, whatever you, you get pumped up, you live it, you breathe it, that's your passion. I want to tell you a little bit about my passions. When I was a little kid, about seven or eight years old, my dad started taking me hunting. And he, I didn't, I was, he didn't let me have a gun at that age. But I went out rabbit hunting with him. And I started liking the outdoors. And he had beagles. And I had a blast watching these beagles work the brush piles. And all of a sudden they kick up a rabbit. And the half time they didn't even know they kicked up a rabbit. And all of a sudden they got on the scent. And then they start going... And you hear them going clear around the rabbits or way ahead of them. And them beetles just have their nose to the ground. And when I got to be about 10 years old, my dad gave me my grandpa's 410 shotgun. It was a bold action 410 shotgun. I thought, all right, you know, I can go hunting now. And the beagles would kick up the rabbits, and my dad would tell me, you know, this rabbit's going to come right around over here along the fence. A lot of times they follow the fence lines or whatever. So he'd tell me to stand right here and look that way. And sure enough, here, here's the beagles way over there bellering. And here's this rabbit sneaking around. And I put my old bead on there and blast that rabbit. And we'd have rabbit for supper. And uh, when I got maybe about 12 years old, my mom would sometimes drop me off at some people's house that had a woods, and I'd spend all day out in the woods squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting. That's what I like. Then I got to be about 12 years old, and, and uh, I'd strap that 410 shotgun right to my bicycle, right across the handlebars. And I lived in Mishawaka, and I'd ride my bike. Here I'm 12 years old with this shotgun strapped to the handlebars. I'm riding it out to the country to go pheasant hunting. This day and age, what do you think would happen if they seen a 12-year-old kid with a bold-action rifle on their handlebars? Huh? Things have changed. <laughs> and I had a buddy I was talking to. He's, he's a lot older than me. He says, that's nothing. He says, when I was a kid, we'd take our shotguns to school. I said, you've got to be kidding. He said, yeah, they'd have the one-room schoolhouse. They'd take their shotguns to, to school, and on the way home, they'd go rabbit hunting. Nobody thought about it. But you know, the morals of those days are different than the morals we have today. We've taken God out of every place we can, including school. And that's what we end up with. We take God out, and we end up having guns in school, but for the wrong reasons. That wasn't rabbit hunting. But then I got to be uh, 15 years old, and uh, we moved over here to Painter Lake. It's a big swamp area, and, and I thought I died and went to heaven. I went to school there at Edwardsburg, and I had a trap line I checked every day before school along the creeks, and uh, I ended up getting a little bird dog that I trained up and uh, went bird hunting, went duck hunting, did all that kind of stuff. and really enjoyed it. Just loved being outdoors. 
Then when I got to be about 20 years old, I met this gal named Nancy. And she'd go out pheasant hunting with me. And then uh, we ended up getting married. And we ended up having a little mini farm. And I started a dog kennel. I started training dogs, obedience training dogs and training dogs for hunting and all that stuff. And we raised Weimar runners. We raised mastiffs, English mastiffs and English bulldogs. And we had a feed store there. We boarded dogs. And it was just a job on the side. I worked in tool and dye work for a trade, but that was kind of a hobby thing. And it kept me busy and... And uh, we had ducks, geese, chickens, rabbits, turkeys, goats. We had all this stuff on our little mini farm. And uh, then I got into deer hunting. And I got pretty heavy into deer hunting, really like that. But, you know, all these things that I did, there was one thing in my life at the age of 25 completely changed everything in my life. It was a life-changing experience I've never had before in my life. I got saved. I asked Jesus Christ in my heart to be my Lord and my Savior, and He changed my life, my priorities on everything. That was back in September of 1979. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I became new in Christ. And you know what happened? Me, I started looking for a church. And if you'd know my background, for me, hunt for a church, me? got to be crazy. But the Lord changed me. And I got to tell you why it, it's a shocker for me hunt for a church, okay? When I was a young boy, my mom used to take me to church all the time. And she taught a Sunday school class to like three or four year old kids. And I hated going to church. Sunday morning, I always tell my mom, I got a sore throat, or I, you know, or I'd poke around trying to get dressed, and maybe we'd miss church or whatever, but I always ended up having to go. And one of the main reasons I hated church is my Sunday school class I had to go to. It was a big church, two story church. And my Sunday school class was on the second floor. And I, I remember I was about eight or nine years old. And this Sunday school teacher, he would get us all in this circle. And he'd give us Bibles. And he'd make each one of us read out of that Bible. And my situation was, I was a very poor reader. I was a very poor speller. And I stuttered all the time. I couldn't talk good. And I had to go to special reading classes in school, special speech classes in school. I was horrible at spelling. And here, this teacher's making me read out loud in front of the class. Humiliated me. I felt about this tall. I hated it. I remember the teacher would make each kid do about four verses out of the Bible in a row. And I'd figure out how many down the road it was for me to where I had to start reading. And instead of listening to anybody else reading, I would study those lines that I would have to read because I didn't want to mess up too bad. And what I started doing, I found out a little trick. There was a restroom upstairs in this, in this big church. And I'd sneak up stairs to go to class, but then I'd sneak into this restroom. If the teacher didn't see me in the hallway, I'd sneak in the restroom, lock the door, and I'd stay in there till class was over. You could hear kids running around when class is over, and I'd just unlock the door, run down with the rest of the kids. My ne mom never found out about me not going to class until I actually started preaching and she I told this story when I preached one time and it surprised her she never knew but uh, when I got a little older like 12 years old my mom said 
you're going to become a member of this church. I told him, I'm not going to be a member of this church. I already don't want to come. He says, you've got to be a member of this church. And my dad was a cop in Mishawaka. And he'd drive me by the squad car, pick me up, and take me right to the front door of that church and made sure I was there. And I, I was in that membership class. And the preacher would tell us what to do and what to memorize and what to write down. And I, I, re, I was rebellious. I just sat there and doodled. I drew pictures the whole time. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm not going to be a member of this church. And by the time the class was over, I was the only one that flunked. I flunked church. And when I got a little older, my parents didn't make me go to church. So I didn't go to church no more. That's my story as far as that goes. But you know, I always knew there was a God, no matter whether I didn't want to go to church or not. And when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I had bought a Volkswagen camper. I started a job right out of high school and bought this thing. And I drove up to Warren Dunes. And I took a Bible with me. And I said, I'm going to figure out what life's all about, what the Bible's all about. And I started reading that Bible while I was up there camping. I started right at the beginning. And I didn't get nothing out of it. And uh, I just put it aside. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says, Seek and you shall find. I was seeking God at the time, but I didn't find Him at that point. And then, like I say, I met this gal named Nancy. And we wanted to get married. Where you get married? In a church. So we started going to this church because we figured we were going to get married in that church. So we went, and after we got married, didn't go to church no more. And where I worked, a guy asked me once, he says, Are you born again? I said, What do you mean? I never heard that before. And he says, Are you saved? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, Are you a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And he left me alone. But that, those words impacted me more than that guy could ever comprehend. Because I kept wondering, what's it mean, born again, saved? And I started uh, watching some of these TV preachers. And some of them are good, some of them are bad. So you got to watch who you who you're listening to, see if they're really preaching the Word of God or not. But I started listening to this preacher, and he's talking about being saved. He's talking about being born again. I'm, I'm writing down these verses. I'm looking them up in my Bible. And I came to a point in my life that I realized I needed Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 3, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. And I realized at the age of 25, I needed Jesus Christ. I always thought the good will outweigh the bad. You ever hear that? You know, I do these good things will outweigh the bad things, and I'm better than most guys, and I'm going to go to heaven. That was what I used to hear in the church I went to. I didn't hear about this. And I re realized the Bible says my righteousness but, is but filthy rags. And if there's any way a person could earn their way to heaven, why did Jesus Christ, God himself, have to die on the cross? He wouldn't have to if we could earn our way to heaven. So it was either in September or August, I'm not sure, in 1979, I went out to the... A, Cement block barn I had built. It was about midnight. And there's chickens in it, goats in it, whatever. And I knelt down in the doorway of that barn. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Lord and to be my Savior. And He changed me. 
I can say the kid that hated to go to church, the kid that flunked church, didn't want nothing to do with it. I started hunting for a church. I wanted to grow in Christ. He changed me. If any man be in Christ, he is that new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I asked this Christian man at work. I knew he was a Christian because you could tell he was. He didn't just talk it. He walked it. He says, there's a little Baptist church just down the road from you. I said, I'm going there. I got home from work. I told the wife, we're going to go to church Sunday. You know. So we went to this little Baptist church. And I get in this church, and there's real men in this church. The church I used to go to, it seemed like a bunch of old ladies in the church. There were real men in this church. Shake your hand, I'll break your arm. Real men. And the preacher's up front, he's preaching. Out of the Word of God. Not fairy tales. He's preaching the true Word of God. And after he preached, he gave an altar call. I never seen an altar call in my whole life. I didn't know what an altar call was. But he preached a, an altar call. He says, if anybody want to get right with Jesus, come forward. I said, wow, this is my new home. And we get home from church. I asked my wife, what do you think of that church? She says, ah. she says, seems like all the preacher wanted to do is get somebody to come forward. But she wasn't saved at the time. A year later, she gets saved. And then we both get baptized. And we both became members of that church. We're going every Sunday. And a guy from church says, hey, why don't you come Sunday night? And I'm thinking, I'm already coming every Sunday morning. He said, try Sunday night. We started going Sunday nights. I loved it. I started learning more of the Word of God. We started going Wednesday nights. Three nights a week, I'm going to church. And then they asked me, Gary, you want to teach the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade kids in Sunday school? I said, well, I'm willing, but I, I don't have any education. They said, that's all right. We got the books. You can learn out of these books and teach the kids. I said, sure. So I started teaching. And I grew the more, the most I ever have in the Word of God because I didn't want to tell them something that wasn't in the Word. I studied and studied and memorized the Word of God and taught them kids the Word. And one thing I never told, asked them kids to do, guess what I never asked them kids to do? Read out loud. I found out there was kids that loved to read. I said, does anybody want to read? Someone, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them read. The kids that didn't want to read, I didn't pick on them. They, loved, they were learning. They don't have to read. So we had a good time. And then after that, the youth pastor asked me if I'd help with the youth. I said, sure, we'll try. So the Lord opened another door. Little by little, he's opened a door. I already have the passion to tell people about Jesus. The Lord gave me that as soon as I got saved. I, I was on fire for Jesus. I want to tell everybody. And sometimes I'd get a little too aggressive I think but uh, yeah sure I'll, I'll work with the kids so my wife and I started working with the youth kids with the youth pastor and all of a sudden the youth pastor had to leave his dad was dying of cancer and he had to help his dad with his business so that left my wife and I in charge of the youth Praise the Lord. That, that became a new passion in my life, telling these kids about Jesus, teenagers, and, and teaching them about Jesus. And the Lord blessed did that for about 16 years. And, and one day a guy from church came up to me, says, Gary, I've been going to the Cass County Jail and I sing. And he says, what if you come with me and you preach? You want me to preach? I said. He says, yeah, I want you to preach. I'm no preacher. 
I said, I'll try it. So I came here. Let's see. I came here for the very first time, April 14th, 1991. And I preached. I preached Jesus. I preached my heart out that night. And afterwards, I gave an altar call. And eight men come forward to accept Jesus Christ that night here at the Cass County Jail, the first time I ever preached. And it blessed my heart. I was hooked. I wanted to come back again and preach to these people. So my passion of hunting, my passion now is, is preaching the Word of God to people. I never left this jail, I could say, but on cloud nine. And I've been coming here, it's like 26 years now. And I, I, I still got the fire. The fire's never burned out. I have that desire, that passion. And then something else happened. We got a new pastor in our church. And he says, you know, we're going to do a wild game banquet in our church. And I said, what, what's a wild game banquet? And he says, well, I know these guys from out east. They're professional hunters, and they, they do these wild game banquets. They'll come in your church, and they'll tell guys how to hunt. And then they tell them about Jesus. I said, wow! That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm all fired up for that. So we started hiring these guys. We'd fly them from Pennsylvania, the first guy. And we had hundreds of people come to our church. And we supplied deer meat and buffalo. And some guys have shot bear and elk. We had hundreds of people come to this banquet. And this guy was telling them how to hunt deer. And at the end, he... He'd tell them about Jesus, and people were getting saved. And had another guy from New York come, and he's doing the same thing. And I told my buddy Leroy, some of you know Leroy, he, he a lot of times preaches over in cell block B. But he comes to the jail with me, and he doesn't come as much as he used to because he's in his 70s and he's had a heart surgery, he's had cancers and all that. He's here tonight, but he's on fire for Jesus too. But one night when we were driving together to come to the jail, I told Leroy this. I told him, you know, I truly believe someday the Lord's going to have me do these game banquets in the churches. And after I told them that, here come to the jail, I started killing the biggest deers I've ever killed in my whole life. I, I couldn't believe it. And, and right now, I have seven deer in the Michigan record books right now. And I've got two deer in the North American Pope and Young Archery record books. Big bucks I've killed with a bow and arrow. And I've killed my limit of squirrel with a bow and arrow. I've killed coyotes with a bow and arrow. I've killed fox with a bow and arrow, groundhogs, all this stuff. And uh, it's just, I'm a hunter. I, that's my passion. I like to do. And, and then I started writing for a Christian bow hunter magazine. The Lord kept opening all these doors for me. Amen. And, and you know, March 4th of 2005, I gave my first wild game banquet. We had about 500 people show up to this banquet. And I'm telling them about how to set tree stands up. I'm telling them how to grunt deer in. I'm telling them how to make fake scrapes and use scents to draw these deer in. And after that, I tell them about Jesus. The first night I ever gave a game banquet, I was telling them about Jesus. We had 26 men come to Jesus Christ that night. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And, and you know, last year, 
I was, they had a game banquet at the RV Hall of Fame in Elkhart. It's a big place. And there was a banquet there. There were between eight and 900 men there last year. And I was the MC of that banquet with eight to 900 people. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to brag myself up at all. But I'm telling you, my passion, I told you right off the bat, was hunting, was the outdoors. And my other passion became Jesus Christ. And the Lord took them two passions and put them together for His glory. And it has nothing to do with me. Every time something came about, I didn't go pursue it. They were asking me. They asked me to teach Sunday school. They asked me to be a youth pastor. They asked me to come here to the jail. They asked me to do game banquets. The Lord opened every one of those doors. It wasn't me. And the old country bunkin that didn't know how to read or spell and went to special speech classes is telling people about Jesus now. I give God all the glory for that. It's not me. Praise God. And I'm telling you this out tonight because what is your outreach? If you're a Christian here tonight, what is your, what is your fit? What, what's your passion? Is it football, basketball, baseball? Is it cars? Is it trucks? Is it NASCAR? Is it boats? Is it hunting? Is it fishing? Is it computers? Is it MMA? Is it teaching kids how to play sports? Is it teaching people how to work on cars? Do you have a passion you can use for Jesus Christ? Make it work. Make it fit to glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we got Carl and Sarah Ross here tonight. We got George and Linda. We got Pastor Steele that comes in. Pastor Washington that comes in. We got Roger that comes in. We got Leroy that comes in. And my, my boy Angelo. I don't know if you know Angelo, but he's my boy. He's my adopted boy. And uh, uh, he, uh, I really love him. And he comes here to the jail. And that's their passion. That's why they're here tonight because they love the Lord and they care about you guys that's why they're here they want to see you grow in the Lord they want to see you never coming back in here because you get on fire for Jesus and he'll keep you out Amen. when you live for him and it's very rewarding when you use your passion for Jesus here's word number two it starts with P. It's purpose. In our lives, we all need a purpose. Purpose makes life worth living. Purpose gives us peace of mind. It gives us contentment. It gives us assurance in life. It gives us self-worth. Purpose. People commit suicide today because they don't have purpose. They're feeling worthless. They're depressed. Feeling nobody cares and they have no peace, no joy, no contentment. They need Jesus to supply a purpose. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen. Do we need rest for our soul? That's Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, I will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When you keep your mind on Jesus, He can give you that peace that the world can't give you. Jesus fills the void that we try to fill with earthly things. There's a part in us that only God can make the fit. And we try to, to get our happiness and make other things fit. Maybe it's cars, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's money, maybe it's boats, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's pornography. There's all sorts of things we try to fill to get happiness out of. 
and it gives us a dead end. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when you come to Jesus, you have the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, happiness, meekness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, faith, meekness. We need that. And purpose only comes through Jesus Christ. Now the third word that starts with P is prayer. Prayer. So many times we take it for granted. Prayer is talking to the Creator that created us, that created everything. And we take it for granted. We're talking to God Almighty, Creator of the universe. It's mind-boggling. It's awesome. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, it says, But if you shall seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him. If you seek Him with all your heart and all your soul. How much of your heart? All your heart, not part of your heart. When we pray to the Lord, we never get a busy signal. We never have a bad connection or out of area. No matter where we're at, we can pray. The guys in cell block B can pray. No matter where you're at, He's there for us. And God's Word, the Bible, is our owner's manual. You know, if you buy a new car, you get an owner's manual, how to, how to take care of it. Well, this is our owner's manual. God wrote it for us. It has the answers to all the problems in our lives right here, all of them. And you know what the barrier is, what the wedge is to separate us from that communication with God? You know what the big barrier is? It's sin. Sin in our lives is the wedge, is the barrier that keeps us from God. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 9 says, He that turns away his ear from hearing God's word, even his prayers shall be an abomination. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 13 it says, they did not listen to me, and I will not listen to them. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So sin can be that wedge, that barrier, that separation that we have from God. So we need to get that sin out of our lives. And there's a good verse for that. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much? All. Clean slate. That's our hope. That's our victory over sin. Psalm 34, verse 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. You know, there's a lot of people say they're religious. And I say this, talk's cheap. It's the walk that counts. Talk. Anybody can say they're a Christian. Anybody can say they're religious and righteous. And they put on a big show. But then there's the ones that walk it, not just talk it. And Jesus tells this story. And there's a lot of wisdom in this story. So listen to this. He talks about a religious man, a Pharisee, and a simple tax collector going to pray. And when you see the I word all the time, a lot of times that means pride. Look at me. Look at me. 
Listen to this as, as it goes forth. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other just a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed within himself. And he says, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift so much as his eyes unto heaven. But he hid himself on the chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself or makes himself high shall be made low. And he that humbles himself shall be exalted or made high. Simple story. And God always makes stories in the Bible simple so we can understand them easily. But that separates the men from the boys on, on being religious or not. And you know, when do you think most people pray? When do you think most people pray? When they get in trouble, right? Huh? That's, I'd say, the number one answer. Most people pray whether they're in trouble. And they usually say something like this, Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'll go to church. If you get me out of the Cass County Jail, I'm never coming back. I'm going to church every Sunday. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, He that hides his sin shall not prosper. But he who confesses his sin and forsakes his sin, his sin, he, he shall have mercy. But you got to listen to this. He that confesses his sin and forsakes his sin. That's the catchy part. A lot of people say, Lord, forgive me of this sin. But it also says those that forsake their sin. That means do it no more. If you're praying the Lord, say, Lord, forgive me. And you, you don't say, I'm not doing it again. And you don't do it again. But a lot of people say, hey, Lord, forgive me. And then the next week they're doing the same sin. Next day they're doing the same sin. And over and over. The Bible says he that confesses and forsakes his sins, the Lord will have mercy on and sometimes God uh, allows things to happen in our lives to try to wake us up, to get on the right track. And sometimes it's even coming here to the jail. Amen. I've been coming here a lot of years, talked to a lot of men. And some of them told me, you know, the best thing that ever happened in their whole life was coming to the Cass County Jail. Amen. Because it completely changed their lives. They came to Jesus Christ right here in the jail. And it changed their lives completely. And some of them said, you know, if it wasn't for coming to jail, I'd be dead. Out on the street, I'd be dead by now. So it was a blessing coming to the Cass County Jail. And it's hard to comprehend that coming to jail could be a blessing. But here's a verse that might relate to that. In Psalms 119, verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. So sometimes even the bad things are there for a reason, to help us, to build us up in Christ. There's another reason people pray. Some people pray when they just want something. Lord, if I win the lotto, I can buy a new car and I'll even drive people to church in that new car. 
If you let me win the lotto, please let me win the lotto. Please let me have a new car. Please, Lord, give me this. Give me that. Give me a new boat. Give me a new house. Give me this. And there's some preachers out there that teach that being a Christian, once you become a Christian, there's no more trials, no more tribulations. You're going to be rich. You're never going to get sick. That's a bunch of baloney. The Word of God does not teach that. Even Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. And Jesus says, we shall suffer trials and tribulations. And the Bible also says, the refining fires, our tribulations, refine us like fine gold. It makes us stronger in our faith coming to Jesus Christ and having trials and tribulations. Does God always want us to be rich and famous and all this stuff? No. And uh, here's a verse, some verses in the Bible tell you that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. I'm going to read this. It says, But godliness and contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and certainly we cannot carry anything out. And having food and clothing, let us be content. But they that will be rich fall in temptation and a snare. What's a snare? It's a trap. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a trap, which unto many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men into destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Did it say money was evil? No. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced them through with many sorrows. Many sorrows. So sometimes when you're rich, you have more sorrows than if you weren't rich. Look at the Hollywood people. How many of them are, are, are real happy? There's so many of them that doing drugs, doing alcohol. How many divorces do you see these Hollywood people have? So the answer to happiness isn't riches like we always want to think. Sometimes we pray and the Lord answers our prayer exactly the way we want him. I can tell you a circumstance in that. Deer hunting. I'm back to deer hunting again. That's my passion. Well, I, there's a certain time you can hunt, okay? And this particular day... It was 7.15 in the mornings when you can legally shoot the deer. You can't shoot them before that. So I'm out in the woods about a half hour before daylight, up in my tree stand with my bow. And I pray to God. I said, Lord, at 7.15, please, Lord, at 7.15, send me a nice big buck right by my stand. Well, I'm holding God accountable for this one. I got my watch out, and I'm counting down the minutes. Here it is, 7.13, and I don't see no deer. 7.14, I see no deer. 7.15 comes. Here comes a nice big buck, exactly the way I prayed. And he's coming right down the trail just the way I wanted, and he looks like he's an eight-point, but, you know, it's so dark out yet, I can't tell for sure how many points this buck is. And because it was a cloudy day, and the canopy, the leaves are all on the tree, and it was still pretty dark in the woods, and I draw my bow back, I'm going to take this buck out. And it's so dark, I can't see the front pin on my bow, and I can't hardly make out the deer. So I had to put my bow back down and not take the shot. The Lord answered my prayer exactly the way I wanted. But I didn't even know how I should have prayed. I should have prayed, Lord, send that deer about 7.30 instead of 7.15. But he answered my prayer, and I didn't shoot because I teach these hunter ethic classes. And one thing I teach them, 
Don't shoot unless you have a complete, good, clean kill. And I didn't feel comfortable taking that shot, so I let him go. Now I'll tell you another hunting story. November 15th is the day that since I was a kid was my Christmas day. November 15th is the opening day of gun season every year in Michigan. And when I was in school, I'd skip out every November 15th to go hunting opening day. And when I get get older, I take off vacation day every day at November 15th. Okay. Now God always works things out. And his timing is perfect. Guess what day out of the year that my mom passed away? Out of 365 days in the year, what day do you think my mom passed away on? November 15th. And the Lord, I'm bad at remembering dates, but November 15th, I got that down pat. And that's the day my mom died. It was unbelievable. And the number for God is what? Seven. God's number seven. Okay, my mom died in year 2000. Okay, now it's 2007, seven years later to the day. And I'm going to go hunting that day. I took off work to go hunting that day. And it was raining. It was pouring down rain. And when I teach these hunter ethic classes, I say never hunt when it's raining. Why don't you hunt when it's raining? Not because I'm a wimp. It's because if you shoot a, a deer, that rain will wash all the, the tracks away, the blood trail away, everything. All traces to find that deer are gone. So that's why I don't hunt when it's raining. Well, November 15th, it rained. So I went into work and the guys at work says, you're a wimp coming in. A little rain keeps you from hunting? I said, nope but I don't hunt in the rain. So when I got off work, the sun was out. It was shining. I said, I'm going out hunting. I ain't missing opening evening. So I ran out to this ground blind, and uh, I sat in that ground blind, and I'm looking, I'm looking for a deer, and I start praying. I'm praying like crazy. I'm doing more praying than looking for a deer. I'm bowing my head in that ground blind and I'm praying, Lord, send me a big buck. Send me a monster buck today. And I, I was talking to him, said, Lord, you know I do these game banquets for you. And, and, and people listen to me more when I have big deer that I've shot. And I bow my head, I'm praying more, and I look up, and here's this big doe comes out of the woods, and I could have shot it. Probably the Lord's going to send me a big buck. So I let that doe pass and went back in the woods. And I put my head down, I'm praying some more. Lord, send me the big boy. I have to look back up, and here comes out the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. Whoa! And I start grunting, because it's a long ways off. And I start grunting, and it hears me grunting. It keeps coming closer, keeps coming closer. And it stopped, and I had a perfect side shot. And I shot, shot it dead. Lord has his timing. I had that big buck mounted. He's on the wall in the living room. And when I see that deer, I think of few different things. I think how I prayed and the Lord answered prayer. And I also think seven years to that day when my mom passed away and the Lord blessed me with that deer. That's part of it. When I do these game banquets, I show pictures of that big bug. People are listening. They want to know how I hunt. And they're all ears. And when I get done talking about how I killed deer, I tell them about Jesus. And a lot of them are all ears. And they listen. Praise the Lord. So isn't that something? How the Lord takes two passions and put them together. 
and blesses so many times. Our Heavenly Father knows exactly what we want and what we need. And He blesses us. But He, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto thee. My Heavenly Father takes care of me all the time. And He gives me purpose for life. He gives me a passion for life. And I can pray to Him anytime I want. And He's listening. He doesn't always answer my prayers the way I want them. Sometimes He answers them better. Without Him, I have no hope, no happiness, no peace, no purpose. Maybe in here tonight, when I talk about my Heavenly Father... It gives you a bad taste in your mouth because you think of your earthly father. And maybe your earthly father was a bad father. He didn't provide like he should have. Maybe he abused you. Maybe you've seen him beat your mother. He didn't support the family. Maybe he was a drunk. Maybe he was a druggie. Maybe he never said he loved you. Maybe he never said he was proud of you. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of Father. No good words. But you know, Jesus Christ wants to be your heavenly Father. He's the best. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come unto me, all that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest rest for your soul. Living without Jesus Christ is like living on the street. You're all on your own. You fend for yourself. There's no real protection. You're vulnerable. No future. No real love. No real hope. No real place you can call home when you don't have Christ. When you come to Jesus Christ and He's your Heavenly Father, you're one of His children. And He watches over His kids. You're in a new family, the family of God. You have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. He protects us. He provides. He gives us purpose and hope and comfort and care, passion for life. I'm going to close with this story. My wife, Nancy, had a cousin. Her name's Sue. When they were younger, they used to hang around together. They're about the same age. Then they got older, and Sue started hanging around the wrong people. So Nancy didn't hang around her anymore. Sue ended up being a prostitute. Sue ended up being a, a druggie. She ended up having five kids. She was only married for a few months. She had kids from different guys. She had them all taken away from her. Her last kid she had taken away right at birth. And at the age of 49, she's dying of cervical cancer. 49. She's in a stinky, smelly, low-income, depressing nursing home dying. She has a colostomy bag. She's walking around with a walker. She looks like she's 85 years old from the lifestyle she had. And her mom and dad didn't have nothing to do with her. They gave up long years ago. They even moved out of the state to get away from her. She kept hounding them for money. She'd come over with her pimp and threaten them and what have you. They got tired of it. They moved out of the state, didn't even tell her. She had no friends, no family, no nothing. Here she's dying in a nursing home. And Nancy found out she was dying in a nursing home, and she went over, started talking to her, started visiting her. And Sue liked strawberry shakes and McDonald's hamburgers, so Nancy would go there and take strawberry shakes and hamburgers. And she started telling her about Jesus. Two weeks before she died at the age of 49, Nancy led her to Jesus Christ. Amen. And she finally had hope, where she never had hope. 
She finally had purpose when she never had true purpose in her life. No true happiness in her life. And she finally got it two weeks before she died. And we went to her funeral in that stinky, smelling nursing home. They had a memorial service for her. You know who showed up at her funeral? Just my wife and I. You know who did not show up at her funeral? None of her five kids were at her funeral. Her mom and dad weren't even at her funeral. The druggies she hung around with, none of them were at her funeral. She died alone. Loneliness. Where are you today? We need Jesus Christ to give us purpose in life. Do you want to go down the same road Sue did? If you had a funeral today for you, if you died today, how many would be at your funeral? Are you like Sue and burned all the bridges from everybody that truly loved you? You took advantage of everybody that truly loved you and they're sick and tired of you? Are you a user instead of a giver? In community, are you a giver or are you a taker? I'm asking you this tonight. When's the last time you ever wept over the sins you've done in this world? When's the last time you really repented? How many times you really wept for all the people you've hurt and the things you've done that you shouldn't have done? We need to weep over our sins. And Jesus says in Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, Jesus says this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but through Him the world may be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, he that believeth not, is condemned already. Condemned already. God's will and goal in our lives is not always to make us happy or healthy or wealthy, but God's will and goal in our lives is to make us more like Him, more Christ-like. Is the Lord tugging on your heart tonight? We're going to give an altar call here tonight. If the Lord's tugging on your heart and you need to get right with Jesus, come up forward. It's the best decision you can ever make. Jesus Christ says this in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The door of your heart, He's knocking. If any man open that door, I will come into him. Is he knocking? Is he tugging? Where do you stand with Jesus Christ tonight? Satan will use one more trick, one more trap on you tonight yet. The trap of pride. If I come forward, what will people think? Who cares what people think? Jesus says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday, whether you want to or not, you're going to bow before Almighty God. So who cares about what other people think? Joshua says this, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we're going to play this song, Amazing Grace. And as the song plays, if the Lord's talking, come on up forward. I got these little booklets called Knowing God Personally. And we can say the sinner's prayer together up here. And you can leave here tonight knowing for sure you're on your way to heaven. 
If you're not for sure, chances are you're on your way to hell. Because the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have your doubts, it's time to get right with Jesus.